0: Hit the nail on the head a couple of times with us we we want to just hammer that point home that um, mm-hmm. time is being in the outdoors with the people you love whether that's your kids your dad your friends yeah and, um, and, and then combining that with being a good steward of the resources out there
1: what's happening everyone and welcome back to another episode of along the keel a podcast dedicated to the brands that are being built outside my name is captain zach and in today's episode we speak with Michael Sims, the founder and creator of Hook & Gaff. A watch company based out of South Carolina, Hook & Gaff is dedicated to your outdoorsmen and fishermen and is creating a watch that is not only comfortable, but is functionally and aesthetically built for the bar or a day offshore. So whether you're an outdoorsman, a fisherman, this watch is definitely for you. And the story behind it is even better. It was great being able to catch up with Michael and learn all about Hook and Gaff, where they started, the ethos, and how he's giving back to the community that he knows and loves. He has a fantastic story to tell, and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Along the Keel. But before that, please do yourself a favor. Head on over to Instagram, Facebook, give us a like and a follow, and sign up for our mailing list. We're going to be having some very cool announcements coming this spring, so I hope you guys stick around and stay tuned for those. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Along the Keel featuring Michael Sims, the founder of Hook and Gaff no way (laughs) that's uh that's very reminiscent of how i grew up and and just like getting sent out go play you know until the lights come back on and here's your mode of communication was a walkie talkie yeah it's a great it's a great i mean but that's such a great thing to do as a you know as you're growing up and and being outside and and having your kids out in the outdoors and not stuck inside on an ipad you know and and being on on an Xbox. I mean, there's, there's a time and place for that, right? And with a world where everything's evolving to be online, like we just talked about in COVID, you know, I think it's great for people to have that balance, but man, you got to get outside. You got to go play.
0: I love it. So my wife and I do have a rule and, and some parents may think I'm being a little harsh, but my kids don't own any sort of video games or PlayStation or anything mm-hmm. like that. We, we kick them out as soon as they get home and they go play with the neighborhood kids and play football yep. and, you know we're trying to keep them away from a lot of that stuff so
1: yeah i mean that's how i grew up it was either you either got to go play and do a sport or you got to go to work <laughs> you choose which one do you want to <laughs> do <laughs> so um i mean you growing up and eventually what led you to create an outdoor Brand was that something that you kind of you know probably followed suit as to what you're, how you're parenting your kids right
0: exactly that's a good point and um and and you're exactly right so yeah obviously we had a, a great neighborhood had a lot of kids that were around but one of the things mm-hmm. I loved to do was I had a little john boat we lived on about a nine, 90 acre uh, lake and nice, I dragged yeah. the john boat down the lake. I, I'd ride the bus home. My dad started letting yeah. me go out in the John boat by myself, starting in like the fourth grade. <laughs> I don't know if I could get away with that now, but I was out there fishing by myself when I was in the fourth grade. And, um, that's, awesome. that's where I taught myself to throw a bait after and, and do all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. 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 I can, <laughs> it's funny. I can totally relate to that. Cause probably about the same, around the same age, I had a little dinghy with a 9.9 engine on it. And that was. That was the toy, you know, it was, oh, hey, do you guys, yeah. yeah, everyone was, everyone was like, yeah, do you want to go play, you know, video games? I'm like, no, I'm going to go see as f- how far I can get and how far I can push the limits without killing myself.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So
0: I, I had a trolling motor, I had a little Minn Kota trolling motor and a car battery and somehow I dragged that thing <laughs> into a red line, pull it down to the boat so I could motor yep. all over that lake with that little motor.
1: That's awesome. But- now, was this in South Carolina?
0: Yes, so I grew up in the upstate of South Carolina. And when you say upstate, mm-hmm. we do have the Appalachian Mountains that run through that corner there. So I grew right. up bass fishing, grew up trout fishing, and ended up doing um, spending a little bit of time on the coast. So I learned how to do mm-hmm. some inshore fishing down there and offshore stuff with some of my buddies. And now we live right in the middle part of the state. So I'm about an hour and a half from both sides. So it's the best of both worlds, That's really. Real- Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So are you, do you spend most of your time now kind of bouncing between the two or is it, uh, staying kind of in the middle and then pick and choose what you're going to do on the weekends?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty lucky. So, um, we live underneath the Lake Murray dam and Lake Murray is almost 200 feet deep at the dam and the water that they let out yeah, it's, it's, um, uh, I think, uh, it, at one point it was one of the top two. I don't remember There's some stat on it being one of the deeper flakes. Um, but mm-hmm. when they built the dam, um, and, and built this river, or they allowed the saluda river to flow out from underneath that water, even in the summertime, rarely gets over like high fifties, even when it's a hundred yeah. degrees outside. So we have a sustainable trout fishery here columbia south carolina which a lot of people don't know about um mm-hmm. so i can literally walk out my back door and walk through the woods there and i'm in the river in like five minutes catching trout oh which is man pretty neat. yeah
1: that's a pretty sweet spot now so do the do your kids get the same opportunity to go out in the john boat and and go fishing down on the lake or is that not not yet
0: yeah no we we do the same thing so i have a, a flat boat that i'll pull the- down to charleston or beaufort and we'll get out on the water Mm -hmm. down there uh and my kid this water is a little dangerous behind my house it's a little deep and it flows pretty Mm -hmm. fast so they're not quite big enough to to wade Uh, i've taken them out in the kayak a couple of times because we have a striper run they come up from the lakes come all the way up into the Mm -hmm. river in the spring and the summer and um, you know they're trying they're spawning basically and uh, and they'll hang around all summer and we can catch them all summer. It's, it's pretty fun. So you can catch stripers on the fly too, right behind the house.
1: <laughs> That's pretty wild. That's it's funny because Rhode Island's so um, you know so synonymous with striped bass, especially um, out by Block Island. So the the striped bass. I think we spoke about this a little bit last time. Was the striped bass being the equivalent to to like the the redfish in South Carolina almost?
0: You probably fish for them the same way. So <clears throat> when we're fishing inshore for, for redfish, it's almost mm-hmm. like, like bass fishing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like bass fishing in the lake. It's very similar. Uh, then you can go out there for the big bull reds out there on the jetties and in, in the deeper water, which is mm-hmm. where you catch your bigger strata usually. Um, yep. Same deal. Yeah, it's pretty similar.
1: Yeah, you know, it's I always find it to be cool, like the the differences in talking with guys like you who are into fishing and, you know, I, I, I love fish. I'm not I mean, I'm not a huge fisherman, but at the same time, growing up in Rhode Island, you have to do something on the water, right? It's just like a necessity. Um, but the differences in, you know, how the same kind of concept and, and culture exists around a type of fish. And really, it's it's the same. It's the same vibe you get depending on where you go. But it's always revolving around like one fish, you know. For like in in Hawaii, it's the it's the marlin, you know. In New England and in the Northeast, right. it's the striped yeah. bass, yeah. you know. Down by you, it's the redfish. Like every every region of the world has this one species that is just synonymous with their culture, you know. And it's just like this. I don't even know how would you describe that.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I get exactly what you're saying. You you can move around, and, and what I find kind of interesting is that. In most cases, the tactics and the you know the, the types of things that you do to to catch that type of fish can sometimes translate. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're going off for marlin, that's a little different. But you know, some of the things you do for say smallmouth in upstate New York might be
2: mm-hmm.
0: kind of similar to what we're doing down here for for you know, striper on our lake, like landlocked striper or something. Right. You know, so um, I, I find it interesting when I watch. These shows with Carter and Andrews and some of these world class yeah, anglers yeah. that travel all over the country, and they're they're doing a lot of the same things. Um, and then you know sometimes they'll switch up lures and things like that. Like you you mentioned Hawaii, one thing that's unique mm-hmm. about Hawaii and marlin fishing is that they troll big lures. You know they massive control the big dogs <laughs> massive lures, right? Um, yeah. And then you get over here. And sometimes we're we're tossing or we're using you know. Live, not live bait, but something that we caught and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a, a skipjack or whatever the heck they're using out there for, for catching, uh, Marlin on the yeah, East like Coast. Yeah, like Ballyhoo or,
1: yeah, yep. Ballyhoo, you
0: we know, call Ballyhoo for Dolphin and, 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 uh, always Ballyhoo for Dolphin on the mm-hmm. East Coast. And then, yeah, and then you go to the Gulf and they're doing something totally different. They just have different types of bait fish, I guess
1: yeah yeah but at the same time it's it's all the same like they're all just they're all fishing right they're all out there like there's yeah. the, the idea of being like this outdoorsman and and just no matter where you are in the country whether you're in you know the middle of the ocean in hawaii which by the way when i went out there and i started fishing and doing some uh doing some pelagics you don't have to go that far offshore it's you know as soon oh, yeah. as you leave the harbor you're already dropping your lures, right? Like yeah. you're 500 feet out of the breachway, and you're in like a 2,000 feet of water. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Whereas here, amazing on the east coast, it's wild. It's wild. And then you know, at least here in New England, you got to go, you know, at least 50 miles offshore to go grab a tuna. I mean, oftentimes, sometimes they'll they'll come in shore, you know, often during different parts of the year. But I, I think that 50 mile mark is a pretty good gauge. But you know, back to the whole idea of just fishing, you know, and, and just being out there, being out in the outdoors and being a part of a a greater cause and collective, you know, for many different reasons, some conservation, some subsistence, you know, it's that ideology that, you know, although we have to go to our nine to five, we have to work, we have to make money and put food on the table. Like we can escape and, and go be out in the outdoors. So I guess for you growing up, I mean, how important was that not only from a recreation standpoint, but to where it kind of molded you into who you are today?
0: Yeah, I would say, you know, some people have a form of meditation that kind of quiets their mind and their soul and Mm -hmm. and being outdoors is basically that for me. (laughs) Yeah. That's it in a nutshell, pretty much. You know, I feel most at peace if it's, you know, me and, you know, my kids, or my dad, or my brother, and we're out there just, you know, whether we're playing golf, whether we're fishing, or, you know, shooting doves in the dove field. It's just being mm-hmm. out there, and and I think most most avid outdoorsmen have that same mantra and feel the same way.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's funny. Like I I I feel as though sometimes that gets lost in translation. You know, a lot, and there was a there's this idea that although you're going, you mentioned dove hunting, right? Or, you know, I mentioned fishing and you can apply that to whatever outdoor recreation you can do. There's this idea that, you know, it's almost more take than it is give, but it's actually the complete opposite in most cases. You know, it's, it's, it really is the guys on the front line in terms of uh, conservation are the ones that are avid hunters, you know, you can't, I mean, you can go talk to any, an environmental law enforcement agent out there, or any park ranger, and I bet you they'll, they'll tell you ten stories about their best catch or best kill, or you know. And it, and it was never about the the catch and kill of the animal or the fish; it was about the journey of getting there and about enjoying the outdoors.
0: Right, and you you spoke about conservation and, and how we we're almost all of us are mainly concerned about that and making sure it's there for the next generation. I mean, that's the,
2: mm-hmm. the
0: idea behind that, you know, um, not only do you want to make sure it's there, the resources are there that you're harvesting correctly and that we're looking at these limits hard. Um, I love our DNR guys here in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I, I know some People <laughs> may think, think differently <laughs> about their DNR guys in our States, but yeah. I tell you here that they really work with the recreational guys to make sure. Um, through through surveying constant surveying Mm -hmm. you know uh, they're they're asking us questions like i got one the other day about uh, our flounder catch because we've Hmm. seen our flounder fishery on the decline over the last 15 years or so and through their same program in these different in these different areas of south carolina they've discovered uh, their catches are getting smaller and they're you know they're not getting as many flounder so we're, right. uh, you know, we're trying to figure out if it's commercial or if it's recreational or if it's a combination of both that are putting these fish on the decline, but, um, they're doing a great job with that and trying to get it, you know, get, get the ship righted before it's too late. And I'll tell you, they did a great job with mm-hmm. the redfish because at one point we'd almost wiped those out too. Now, right. you know, that's pretty much all you catch in the creeks. It's fun. Yeah. So they, they, yeah, they know what they're doing and, and they really are you know, looking out for the betterment of uh, the next generation, being able to get out there and do the same thing we're doing.
1: Right. Absolutely. And then, and then giving that opportunity to then educate, right. And these guys that are out on the charters and, and people like you that are creating companies such as Hook and Gaff, you have this opportunity to, to, you know, perpetuate that through your messaging, you know, like most guys that are, you're going on a charter with, they could tell you the ins and outs of these, you know, flats and 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 currents and winds and tides and just the whole gamut, and there that's just from experience of being out there. I mean, you gotta you gotta put in the reps, you gotta put in the time, and then you know, on top of that, having companies like Hook and Gaff and a variety of other ones that I've you know had the good fortune to speak with, it's uh it's kind of humbling to see guys like you that are taking that next step and and taking their passion. And moving into, you know, this positive message for for conservation, for change for the future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and you've kind of hit the nail on the head a couple of times with us. We we want to just hammer that point home that um mm-hmm. time well spent is being in the outdoors with the people you love, whether that's your kids, your dad, your friends. And, yeah. Um and and then combining that with being a good steward of the resources out there. Yeah, right. That's exactly right.
1: Yeah, and and that's such a good pun too. <laughs> Time well spent. <laughs> it was a watch company. So you know we we've, we've spoken a lot about kind of you and in, in in the conservation side and like what hook and gaff stands for. But you know you you start from loving the outdoors. You went to Clemson University. Is am I correct about that? Yeah. And then that's what correct, did you go yeah. to? Cle- what did you go to Clemson for?
0: Two things. I was there on a golf scholarship. And I also uh was an engineering major. So Okay. Um I got an I got an industrial engineering degree while playing golf at Clemson and we ended oh, up winning the national championship in, in uh oh <laughs> three, which was my senior year, which is pretty awesome.
1: So that is awesome.
0: I, I played with a lot of guys that are really good. I mean they, there's a couple of them that are still out there on tour and I'm I'm approaching 40 years old this year. So uh, <laughs> I think I counted the other day that I played with at least, uh, let's see, I think I counted eight guys that played at least one year on the PGA Tour that were on my team.
1: Really? Wow. Yeah. That's pretty wild. So any, yep. any like big name uh, guys that are notable <laughs> or what's that? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, I was not one of those, but uh, <laughs> let's see. We've got uh, DJ Trahan is still out there. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Bird, he um, he's out there. Lucas Lucas won the U.S. Open back in '09 at Bethpage. Okay. Yeah, he's probably the most notable. He's a major championship winner.
1: Yeah, that's kind of interesting that you. I mean, you know, being down in South Carolina, golf is. I mean. I find I, don't know, I could be wrong, but down South golf seems to be way more prevalent. I mean, I, I lived in Florida for a little bit up by Jacksonville right next to TPC Sawgrass. And that was the thing to do, you know, like it, when the, when the PGA yeah. tour came to town, it was, you're going to the pras- practice runs, you know, you're going to watch and at, growing up as a kid, I was like, well, this is weird. I like I coming from the Northeast golf was never really even in the picture, you know? So is that a big yeah. part of your life growing up then?
0: Oh man. Yeah. We're, we're an hour and a half away from Augusta national. So I think, you know, most dads have a plastic club in their kids' hands when they're like three years old, if they're born in this area, <laughs> it's yeah. just the nature of the beast. Um, yeah. But yeah. We've got a lot of golfers like that, and we have an appreciation for the game and the tradition. And I think mm-hmm. you see that watch the masters or, or even watch Harbor town compared to like, the tournaments in Scottsdale and other other places mm-hmm. and the way they the fans are are, you know, respectful of the players on the right. on the course. This so is being kind of rowdy, you know, sometimes they get a little little rowdy up in uh at Beth Page, for yeah. example. That was wild. Got a little rowdy up there.
1: Um, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Just No, um, I mean you guys there's, to... there's time and place. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's time and place. <laughs> but you know, it's kinda of interesting. Yeah. Like there's a lot of I I feel like in, and I'm not really a big golfer, but I, you know, I guess my form of golf would be going to the skeet shooting range. I'm a member to the local club and like, I go at least once a month, you know, that's kind of my version of golf. And in some senses it's probably relatively similar, but I think there's a lot of carryover from the golfing and creating a business you know, and, and the patience and just the consistency and the reps it takes to become good at golf. You know, I, I compete in, in the sport of weightlifting and, and that is very similar to golf, but I think in any sport, right. It's this idea of, of patience, consistency, and time and, and just showing up, you know? And so I can imagine that was probably a big part of your time at Clemson to then become a national champion. I can imagine
0: yeah I would say that um I would say that just the game in general teaches you to obviously sometimes you call penalties on yourself, you know we all hear mm-hmm. that in association with golf your ball moves in the middle of the woods when you're moving a leaf. are you gonna call that that shot on yourself or, or are you gonna
2: mm-hmm.
0: just act like nobody saw it so it's a game of integrity right. and honor um it's a game of patience and And I say that in the most humbling way, because you're inevitably going to get a bad break in an 18 hole round. You may get Mm -hmm. two or three or four, and you've got to be able to come back from those. If you hang your head and and cash it in, um, then number one, you're not being a good teammate. If you're playing on a team and you got four other guys that are relying on you to post a score. Um, but number two, you just got to have some resilience, right? You've got to be, you know, that's life. You're going to catch some bad breaks. You got to pick yourself Mm -hmm. up and, get back out. Keep it, moving. Right? And yeah. Learn from it. Yeah. L- try to figure out what you did wrong and don't do it again.
1: Right. So, right. Yeah, failures is is just an opportunity to learn. So when you were kind of starting out and you graduated from Clemson, what did you immediately start hooking Gaff or was there a process into getting into what would become the company?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So um, the the sh- well, this will be a long answer. Uh, I used to wear a <laughs> Yeah. I used to wear a watch when I played golf and that was kind mm-hmm. of weird then cause not a lot of people wore watches as a, you know, 18 to 21 year old when you're playing golf, but I did Great. and I created a permanent callus in the back of my, my left hand from where that traditional <laughs> crown would just stick in the back of my yeah. hand. And in, in the industry, we call that wrist bite. So if the crown digs in the mm-hmm. back of your hand, when you're active and you're building that wrist back, we call it wrist bite. So. I had a thought as, as an engineer in college. I was like, how easy would it be to just flip the crown to the other side? It can't be that difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out it's a little more difficult than just flipping <laughs> it upside down. Of course. Uh, I, learned that, I learned that the hard way as I did a little research, uh, but, but I had the idea way back then, and, and it was just an idea, that's all it was. And mm-hmm. when I got out of school, I went into the insurance business for about five years my wife went into the restaurant business, and
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, we were kind of kind of racing a little bit to see whose career was gonna was gonna <laughs> turn out better. Uh, because I was stationary for the most part, I was building a business there in the upstate, yep. and she was gonna have to move. She was gonna have to move with her job if she got an opportunity. So she did end up getting an opportunity, and we did move with her job down here to Columbia. And mm-hmm. that's when I started. Yeah, I just started a new new thing I, I helped her for a couple of years in the restaurant and and I, and that's when i was doing my research i was contacting suppliers having prototypes mm-hmm. made um that's when i partnered with my with the co-founder of the business his name's gash clayton he's a good mm-hmm. buddy of mine from high school and college he is a um, trained graphic designer but a self-taught artist and he is amazing we've posted yeah. a couple of his uh uh, pieces of art on our Instagram page. You might have to scroll way down, but he's, he's amazing. So yeah, one of the first things I did when I knew I wanted to, to launch this business was I knew I had to call him. He's the most creative dude I know. And mm-hmm. he, yeah, he came up with our logo overnight and it is just awesome. It's so eye catching. Yeah. Uh, just We get more compliments on that logo and it was something he just, you know, off the cuff created and, and pretty talented in that regard. Um, yeah. The other benefit of having him, though, you know, it's always good to partner with somebody who has strengths where you have weaknesses. So he he is super creative um, and he's he's also a watch guy. So I'll be oh, quite interesting. honest. I'm not a watch guy, which makes me <laughs> watch company that much more interesting because yeah. I'm not this guy who collected watches and, and I wasn't like into watches. I just saw a need, you know, right. I, I, I'm more the engineer who saw a problem and just said, hey, this is a problem. <laughs> we need to do something about this. Right. <laughs> so I partnered, with the guy. I partnered with the guy who's actually the watch guy who, who can design the watch the way it needs to be designed and look and, mm-hmm. and do all that. So, um, so I come at it from a uh, almost a consumer perspective where I'm like, hey, man, when you're shooting, you need this or, you know, these are some functions we might need. Let's make a right. Tide watch. Uh, so then we start to research movements that are available and he'll look at the design and see if it's compatible with flipping the crown to the Mm -hmm. other side. We'll get with our watchmaker and, you know, there's a whole process, but, um, that's sort of how the company company was founded. He and I back in, let's see, 2014 is when we officially started selling watches. So there was probably one or two years of build up, doing research Mm -hmm. and creating prototypes um i actually took the watches and gave them to some dudes in venice louisiana and i said oh, really? um, yeah we we fished with i used to go down there like twice a year i haven't been in a year or two but i need to get back down there um but one of the guys we fished with i i just gave him the watch and i said i know how much you guys are fishing y'all are out here 280 mm-hmm. days a year just put this thing through the ringer and let's see what happens and call me back in in a year so I got right. back, and, you know, after about nine months to ask him how it was holding up and he had a few pieces of feedback on the, uh, cosmetic design, but as far mm-hmm. as the durability and functionality of the watch and, and it's still looking good, it was, it was great. We, we hit the nail on the yeah. head with, you know, of hours of research and, and prototype testing before that too. But, um, right. the, the components of the watch make it durable and then Gash just does such a good job with the the aesthetic design, the classic design Mm -hmm. of the watch. That this is a watch you can truly wear to work. You can wear it to the boardroom. You can wear it to church or even to a wedding. We've got numerous straps you can interchange and Mm -hmm. put on the watch. So you can put a a gator strap on a watch and walk into a boardroom meeting, and then you throw Mm -hmm. your navy dive strap on it and you go, you know, uh, snorkeling and trying to scoop up some lobsters in Key West. Right. The next weekend. Yeah. You know, it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, that. that's why I was so intrigued by what you guys were doing, you know, cause it was a watch and, and I, you know, quite frankly, I'm not a watch guy. And for that same reason that you made a watch, because, you know, as an, as someone who's always outdoors, who's an athlete, who's running around doing stuff, I, I, you know, it was just binding up on me and it was, it was hurting me more than it was helping me. Right. And after a while I was like, oh man, does anyone really need to know the time anyway? (laughs) So I was (laughs) like, you know, it got to the point where I was like, ah, you know, I guess I'm going to have to step away from the watch. But after seeing what you guys are creating and how you're going about, you know, distributing the brand and, and what you guys stand for, man, they're really, really nice watches. But I got to ask, like not knowing anything about what goes into a watch other than that it tells time yeah. and that you can have some really cool features like the, um, the, I think, what was the feature that the, the nighttime was tri-flux or it's the, uh,
0: it's tritium illumination. That is a new feature that we've just been doing the last mm-hmm. three years. Um, we saw a little bit of a gap in the market there because a lot of the European countries are outlawing tritium. Tritium is mm-hmm. radioactive. It's uh Oh. And, and for that reason, they're outlawing it. But it's in a—you'd have to eat this stuff for probably ten years for it to happen.
1: It. <laughs> right, <laughs> it's, it's like time. mercury. It, like you need a little bit. Yeah, yeah it's
0: like mercury. exactly. It's exactly the same thing, pretty much as far as that's concerned. But it's it's trapped in a little tiny glass vial, and mm-hmm. um, and it's placed on the dial. So we put those on the hour markers in our hands to, to illuminate the uh, the dial and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you can see the time, you know, when you're loading the boat or you're climbing in the deer stand, um, you know, a lot of times you got to know when first light is, if you're hunting, mm-hmm. um, things like that. So, yeah. um, that's been a real game changer with our anglers and our hunters, because a lot of the guys that are, that are, uh, fishing too, they're, they're usually launching in the dark if they're mm-hmm. in tournaments. You know, I fish a right. few redfish tournaments here and, and um, we're always in the water probably 45 minutes before first light. Mm-hmm. And uh, helps to kind of glance at your watch and know what time it is.
1: Right. I mean, can you ever? Can you really even start fishing before you know after sunrise? Yeah. I mean, if, if you're not starting before sunrise, are you even really going fishing? Right. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> so, so the other features that kind of make our watch unique and different. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first things Gash and I talked about was, all right, if we're going to be this brand for outdoorsmen, what mm-hmm. are the things that this thing is going to have to be it's going to have to be durable um it's going to have to be something they're going to want to wear and Mm -hmm. i think there there's also that lifestyle element that goes hand in hand with that because you know so many of the anglers and the golfers they live the lifestyle off the golf course too so if they're going out to eat you can probably point at that guy and say i bet that dude plays golf because he's wearing Mm -hmm. peter millar slacks and a golf shirt that has a pebble beach logo on it. Right. Right. So we, we knew that we we're going to have to create, um, not only something that was durable, something that was waterproof. Uh, mm-hmm. these guys are going to be getting it wet. They're going to be flaying fish. They're going to be spraying off their hands. They're going to be, you know, spearfishing. We've got a world-class spearfisher. Um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> in Hawaii, actually,
1: Oh, no way. And, you know what Island?
0: Uh, uh, I think he's on the big Island. Yeah, I need to look oh. back and see. He and another photographer out there wear our watch and um Great. gosh, name escapes me for the moment. He's friends with Carter Andrews. That's how I found out about him. But
2: Okay. Uh, he jumped
0: on the boat and, and did some fishing with Carter and um just took some pretty awesome photos too. He and his buddy and uh and and we got in touch with him. But yeah, so those are the the, the elements that we had to consider with the watch and and we knew that we weren't going to do digital and that was the other thing that i've touched on briefly but you know we think that time well spent with your loved ones is kind of getting outdoors and escaping technology so you're away from your phone you know you don't want your teenager scrolling through facebook when you're on the boat trying to catch a fish or you know you you want to spend quality time with that person so we we didn't know this for a fact, but we kind of figured the Apple Watch would come along and continue to progress until, um, you know, people were dialing from the watch and, you know, it just mm-hmm. another phone. And right. it hasn't quite gotten to that. I don't know. I don't know that the popularity is, is quite uh, to that level yet to do all mm-hmm. of those functions. People use it. You know a lot of people do wear it and they wear it for, for yeah. different things and, and you do see them wearing it for fitness too and, I, and that's there's something to be said for that i think that's a positive uh, for sure. but we knew that our watches were going to be analog and they were going to stay analog mm-hmm. we just we just like that classic aesthetic it's kind of a throwback um you could almost call it vintage now because almost yeah, everything right. really so yeah. that was the idea. So it had to be durable, waterproof, and we wanted that classic aesthetic. And then mm-hmm. the uh, and then the straps. So the straps have to fit that same purpose. So we right. tested probably oh man dozens dozens of different straps to see if they would hold up. And most of the rubber straps that you find on the market are not really rubber. Mm-hmm. They're actually silicone, and they were. Oh, interesting. A few yeah, so there were a few issues we had with silicone. Like all the Apple Watch straps, for example, are usually silicone. Like ninety-nine percent right. of them. I don't. I can't think of a company that actually makes a rubber strap. But the benefit of the rubber is that it it doesn't get um, it doesn't collect microbial bacteria like those silicone mm-hmm. straps do. They get kind of sticky. Uh, they get, uh, yeah, por- they get gummed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah they get uh, they get porous over time, and they collect bacteria that, you know, if you're, you know, if you are running and, and working out in that watch, it's going to, yeah. it's going to get a funky smell after a while
1: and it's just right. Well, especially to after ripping fish for hours on end too. And, and
0: that's a really good point. If you're skinning a deer yeah. or filleting fish and you have a silicone strap on, you know, we knew we'd get a bunch of calls after about three or four months, man. Oh, or you know, on the flip side, we could sell a bunch of straps, but that's not what yeah, that's we, true. we wanted to do. We want to sell a quality product. So we found the only company. Well, there's there's two, but we found one. Um, they're an Italian company that makes the best yes. rubber dive straps, and we've been using them ever since, since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And they come with a dive clasp. You you do have to go through the process of sizing it. We've got an mm-hmm. video on our website that kind of shows it, where they can take it to a jeweler. Um, the process is no different than sizing a metal watch bracelet. If you get a Rolex, so okay. you typically have to unscrew a link or two to get it the right size. And in this case, you just cut the links out of our rubber die straps, but once you get it aside, man, it is the most comfortable watch you will ever wear. Uh, it's wonderful for the heat. These, you know, 85, 90 degree summer days. you're sweating in it, filleting fish in it. It's so easy to clean. And then they're easily interchangeable, so you can put, you know, if you're a big sports fan, you can put a, you know, I don't know what team you pull for, but you can throw that color on there and go to the game. And yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, it's orange, so I strap I, on there.
1: Yeah, right. Well, for me, it was, um, you know, the Patriots. I mean, I still love the Patriots, but you know, I guess I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of rooting for the Bucks now. What's that?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean. He, Tom Brady goes you got to follow right <laughs> Well, I, uh, I, would,
0: and it, I mean he he was he's got to be loved by all you guys man he, he oh was my man God. for a long time Yeah yeah
1: you see more um Bucks jerseys around now than you do Patriots it's wild it's yeah. so funny it's it's as if the entire Patriots nation um I knew more guys watching like once the Patriots were done with the playoffs um or not even the playoffs just done with the season um everyone just started watching the Bucs game and it was you know when everyone referred to the game you know uh, you thought oh the pa- the pa- the Pats aren't playing they're like no no we're watching the Bucs game you know so <laughs> there's going to be as many Patriots fans if not more watching the Super Bowl than there are going to be Bucks fans I can guarantee that yeah, yeah. it's That's- been pretty wild you mentioned yeah. um you know, this concept of planned obsolescence, right? And having the, you know, the a quality product and really diving deep into the brand and the importance of having a lifestyle around the watch. So what's been kind of the strategy with continuing that, right? Because, you know, our, on our previous conversation that you and I had um, before hopping on and, and, and recording, we talked about, you know, just the the movement of, made in the USA, really trying to figure out, like, you know, buying from smaller companies and creating these brands that are, that resonate with people, right? So, you know, you guys do such a great job resonating with the outdoorsman, but you could have gone in any direction, right? But the importance to you growing up in the outdoors kind of carried over to the watch. So why do you think that is? Why do you think you chose to go in that direction versus just become another golf, like another golf based watch. I mean, I know you kind of, yeah. you kind of um, play in that bucket as well, but not as much. I mean, hook and gaff is very much so a fishing sportsman right. outdoor watch.
0: You're right. And, and when we do kind of delve into the golf, it's more custom stuff that we've done for a PGA tour tournament or um, some of these pro-ams or, or, or member guests. We do some logo watches, mm-hmm. uh, but but that that's kind of been fun too. I could touch on that a little bit um but yeah the re- we, the reason we kind of i think a lot of watch companies and let me back up a little bit because when we started 7 years ago um there were only about 8 or 9 maybe 10 or 11 new watch companies that year in mm-hmm. the US it was really hard to find people who made the parts and kind of figure out how to go about building this business and right. You know, I think I mentioned to you earlier that there were a couple of things like, you know, Alibaba, you can jump on that website now and, and contact any Chinese factory, any factory, really anywhere in central America, right. you can find out who's making shirts for your favorite brand. You can contact mm-hmm. that company and you can get those shirts too. There's no loyalty a lot of times, um, right. to a, to a brand when it comes to these factories, they're just trying to make money too so mm-hmm. that opened up the floodgates to micro brand uh watch companies apparel companies i mean you just saw, yep. saw an explosion really over the last like six years um, yeah. and it just kind of happened right right after we got started uh, but but we knew what was going to set us apart was uh, really creating a brand and building a brand that was built to last um, mm. If you try to be everything to everybody, I think you have a tough time, um, you know, making a brand that lasts. And, and right. you see that a lot of times, like I'll give you a perfect example: you, you got a Hardee's up there. You know the fast food restaurant Hardee's.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, from living in Florida, I know what Hardee's is. Yeah, yeah. They they bounce back and
0: forth between what they're trying to do. Like, what? There were a couple of seasons where they were making like tacos and stuff. And you know, like, what are you doing, yeah, do, yeah. man? You're a burger joint. You had yeah, right. that's burgers and hot dogs twenty years ago, and now you don't even know who you are. So, same right. thing, like, it doesn't matter what product you're trying to sell. You need to figure out your lane and stay in that lane and, and own that lane, right? So, um, we've got a couple of people that have tried to steer us the wrong direction. I feel like saying that our watches look great enough to be worn on a bartender in Seattle in a in a you know nice bar. I'm like, you're right. Mm. It, it, that's a true statement. I think our watch would look great on a Dude in a bar serving drinks, but sure that you know, maybe he fishes, maybe that's why he wears the watch. You know, right. it, it, it'll Pretty, look good yeah. on a lot of people in a lot of places, but we've got to stay true to the brand and not try to be everything to everybody. So, yeah, that's been our main, you
1: know, I think that's been. I th- you, that's really well said. And, you know, you mentioning the guy in Seattle, you know, wearing your watch in a bar, that's great. You know, if you want to, he can, anyone can buy your watch, right? Anyone can wear right. it. Um, yeah. And, you know, quite frankly, go ahead, you know, buy, yeah. buy as many watches as you want. But there's something to be said about sticking to your brand and one that lasts. And I had a, a recent conversation with the gentleman who is making socks and he's putting fish print like so if you caught a redfish, right, you right. could actually take a picture of it and then he'll um, take that and index it onto a sock. Huh. So your same exact catch is on your socks, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But, you know, he mentioned which I thought what, one of the big takeaways was, you know, the fact that you can look down at your feet and you're bringing along your love of fishing wherever you go. Right. And then if someone is walking in, if you're walking into, let's say, you know, some sort of event and they look down at your feet and they see that you're wearing fishing socks, then there's something, there's a conversation to be had. Right. And I kind of see the same thing with hook and gaff where you can, you know, that's great. If you want to buy a golf centric watch, go buy the golf centric watch. If you want to go buy the sit in a bar and and be a Rolex, go buy the Rolex. But if you're, if you want to be a sportsman and kind of, give off the vibe that, you know, fishing is my thing. Then hook and gaff is your, the watch is the watch to be, you know? So yeah, I think there's a lot to be. Great. Just staying yeah,
0: you made a good point. So we, we do some custom stuff too. So we'll do a custom logo watch. Um, we've done some stuff for some nonprofits that you're probably familiar with. Uh, CCA is one of them. We, we worked with CCA in about four or five different States and oh, wow. we put the, they call it the twist. Fish the twisted redfish logo on on okay. the watch. So you're right. When those dudes walk into a bar, they're they're sitting down and they're they're actually wanting somebody to notice their watch so they can talk about <laughs> fishing. Right? Uh, right. Same deal with uh, with Bertram. So we made watches for Bertram that makes the sport oh, the, oh really oh yeah. cool. So yeah, they're 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 a really tight family and Hills Bay, Hills Bay uh, skiffs in Florida. So yeah, also Florida. another. Oh yeah, yeah, they make the best flats yeah and, and so those guys who wear that watch they yeah absolutely they're wanting somebody to ask them a nice watch do you have a Hells yeah. bay why well, yes i do let me tell you about it <laughs> right? right?
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah there's a uh there's a funny meme that i'm picturing right now it's you know everyone um a, if a CrossFitter hasn't said, you know, that I do CrossFit within the first five minutes, do they really do CrossFit? You know, it's like this guy holding his breath, kind of like, <laughs> kind of similar in the sense, right? It's a, have we talked about fishing yet? Right. So, you know, you, you men, you're mentioning so many great, um, you know, uh, programs and organizations and, you know, after going on your website and seeing so many, so much community outreach, that seems to be a huge part and importance to hook and Gaff Where, you know, I saw you working with that um the 18-year-old girl who is out doing work with underprivileged uh with kids, underprivileged kids. And then also, you know, respec and, and doing the um the conservation for the redfish. So you guys have really done a great job of integrating yourself and creating not only a lifestyle brand, but you know, like we talked about before, is like that that giving back, that piece that that will then perpetuate and and not only make your brand last long, but also the very fact that we can go out fishing, right? Yeah. I mean, so like, what are some of these organizations that I've been seeing and the ones that we kind of touched upon?
0: Wow, yeah. Um, Pretty much anybody who is a nonprofit and angling we have probably worked with in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So uh, I like to say, you know, Gash and I talk about it all the time the answer is always yes. It may just not be exactly what they're asking for. So we get approached like a lot of businesses do for money a lot of times, but there's other ways we can work with these groups to help mm-hmm. raise money for their calls or bring notoriety to their, their brand and their organization. Right. Um, just like with CCA, with the watches, um, not only were we helping raise money, but we're propagating their brand. you know, yeah. Exponentially, with the number of people who are wearing that watch and talking about their watch in, in the CCA, um, right. same thing with Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. We did the same thing with those guys in Florida. Uh, they're, they're a great group of guys that are, uh, you know, they've got a they've got a battle ahead of them with with a lot of the water issues down there in Florida, and uh, and another guy um, does a great job is uh, the, the captains for Clean Water Group down in Florida. And um, they they work with Bonefish and Tarpon Trust a little bit, from what I understand. But um, but yeah, so if an organization approaches us about about that, we'll we'll try to work with them in some way to to bring awareness. And usually great. it involves you know a watch. It's it's a fortunately for us, we make a product that is a great silent auction item, a great giveaway piece. Um, it's a great marketing piece because. They're always going to wear it. It's not like a T-shirt that they're going to wear one day and throw it in the dirty clothes. They're actually going to wear it every day. So it goes with them everywhere they go. So, yeah, we've worked with uh, with a lot of those groups, um, as well as the businesses, you know, the the boat manufacturers Mm -hmm. that I talked about. Um, You mentioned Project Respec. So that was uh, a group of our fishing guides down in Charleston. Uh, they're called Redfin charters. The captain's name is, uh, and and business owner, his name is Joel Levine. And, and he's awesome. He's a really good dude. Uh, we had a a really hard freeze. One winter is probably three or four winters ago now Mm -hmm. where we had two or three days that were down in the teens and on our coast, that's very unusual. So we, um, we, we noticed there were a lot of the shallow water fisheries were pretty hard hit, uh, you go out and in Georgetown areas and you see thousands of fish floating redfish and and trout um so he kind of got that going with dnr and got the uh speckled trout population back up and going now we're right back where we started i mean it's great the fishery's good so that that's been a success um you mentioned Whitfield. yeah she's she's a great um great uh she's a captain now yeah she's from the tampa area and she does she takes um kids out who um usually they have something um a health issue or something like that and Mm -hmm. um fishing could be tough for them and and she makes it awesome for them to be able to get on the boat you know maybe they're in a wheelchair never thought they'd ever get on a boat and she she does all that she's she's just a phenomenal person
1: yeah Um, well Someone like that. I mean, just taking that story right there to give someone an opportunity to become a part of, you know, a fishing experience. I mean, for, for me, at least I can relate to that and and say that when I was guiding out in Hawaii and, you know, just taking people out on the boat here in New England, there's something to be said about giving someone that opportunity, you know, just to, just to reel in a fish or just take a ride on a boat. Like it, it surprises me the amount of people that have never experienced getting out on the ocean or yeah. going and exploring marsh or, you know, heck, even swimming. You know, I, I yeah. was shocked at the amount of people that don't know how to swim. And or there's a there's a genuine fear of the ocean. So for someone like her to take someone that is already at a disadvantage just because of, you know, they, the way they were born and then allow that person to really explore something new. I mean, that's... She's doing something cool. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta get in touch. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. And, uh, um, and then I've got one more I have to mention cause he's, he's my boy, mm-hmm. uh, Ozzy Martinez out of Florida. So he was the okay. the nonprofit that we worked with from day one when we launched the business. And my dad flew helicopters in the army. Ozzy did two, um, two tours in Afghanistan and he's a combat vet and, and Marine. And, mm-hmm. um, came back and I think his, I want to say it, it was his best friend. It was one of the guys he served with committed suicide when he got back uh, from PTSD and then Ozzy himself suffered from PTSD. And so he, he made it a mission after he covered and it is still a daily battle, but he, he made it a mission to take these guys out on the water and just let these wow. guys know, yeah. I think the main feeling associated with that, and I, you know, I'm speaking just from hearing him talk is that,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: these guys feel like they're alone they're these big bad strong dudes who can take out anybody but um they right. feel like they can't talk about that because it's you know they wouldn't be viewed as that person anymore right mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of guilt associated with people that they've lost over there too so that a lot of that just ties together and um so it's it's therapy at sea basically is what it is so he'll get a group yeah. of maybe eight to 16 guys and they they may take out Several boats. They may have three charter captains that will take them out. Mm-hmm. We, we did a trip off the coast of Charleston um, a couple of years ago in May, and took out I think it was about twelve guys that were uh, combat. Oh, awesome. And um, yeah, it's just you know they talk about what they went through, and and you know they make new friends, and now they have a sounding board. You know, yeah, that's what it's all about.
1: Yeah, you know I've talked to um, two organizations now. One operation real heroes. The other one, um, is affiliated with last mango and, um, Jimmy Buffett's organization. Um, it's called freedom fighter outdoors and it was started with, uh, by, um, captain Vinny Sorsa. and they do the same thing, taking veterans out. And after speaking with those two organizations, they both have their distant different twists on things and how they do it. But, you know, at its core, it's, it's just taking guys out fishing, you know, and, and, yeah it's not about the fish, right? It's it's always about the stories being told, the connections being made. And that's exactly what I'm getting the vibe from Hook and Gaff. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, not, it's not about the watch, right? Like, yeah. I think we can both agree on that. It's about the time well spent, which right. I think is a great saying and it's an awesome pun at the same time.
0: Well, that's why he, you know, he initially wrote me and we launched our, our his nonprofit, my business at the same exact time. It was mm-hmm. a perfect marriage. It was the perfect timing. His message is my message and vice versa. So, you know, it's, it's, I love supporting uh, an organization like that. It's never going to yeah. be a, a huge organization. It's not going to be, um, what's the one I'm trying to think of, uh, wounded warriors or anything like that. Um, yep. Yep. You, know, been, you know, those are great organizations, but the bigger you get, the more, you know, the more bureaucratic and and. I wouldn't say waste, but they have to spend money on management and things like that. not all the money goes toward vets, right? So that was Ozzy's main thing. He's like, man, I want 100% of the money that flows through this to go right back to the vets. And like, man, you're my dog, let's do this. So we've been supporting him from day one.
1: That's awesome. How is your collaboration with them? Like, what does that look like?
0: Yeah, so he tries to do several trips a year um, and Mm -hmm. he's even started getting into a couple of golf tournaments. So he's got a son who's getting to the age where he's getting pretty decent at golf, which is fun to watch. And, uh, so Ozzy will take him out and and they'll play golf. So he hosted a golf tournament in Tampa. This was about Mm -hmm. three weeks ago. And we try to, um, either give him watches that he can use for raising money at silent auctions for all these different events or Mm -hmm. prizes or, you know, whatever he needs from us, we generally give him. So that's, that's really the way we work. Uh, hand yeah, and so if he needs anything from us, he's got our full support.
1: Right. And you also mentioned another guy, um, you know, earlier was uh, Carter Anderson, right? Or was uh, it Richard Carter Andrews, yeah. And, and Carter Andrews and yeah. and how influential he's been kind of in that the process of creating this lifestyle and ocean based and really connecting with a lot of the fishermen. Um what you know, reaching out to guys like that, yeah, and having them part of your team, you know, it, it's funny, like Everyone that I talk to and, and you having a partner, some guys, some businesses, you know, it's just a sole prop, right? It's just one guy or, you know, th- but at the same time, that one person, despite them being the sole person that's pushing the the cart down the, you know, up the hill, they have a whole team behind them, Oh uh, right? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, th- obviously Hook and Gaff, has it's you and Dash, but, you know, there's a team behind you guys. So, you know, not only Carter, but I can imagine like, the whole family gets involved, right? So, yeah. what is what does the collaboration look like with him? But more importantly, like, what does it look like as a whole in terms of from a team perspective?
0: Yeah, yeah. So Carter is just an integral, um, uh, I would say, uh, supporter of the brand. He is he is a world class angler. Uh, he's had a show for you know, I, I hate to put a number on it because I could be wrong, but it's at least ten or twelve years. He's he's had a show um that's been on national television and oh wow all right yeah. and, and unlike a lot of these guys who are just kind of fishing in their lane down in florida or you know doing what they know he knows how to do everything i mean the guy right. is amazing so he travels all over the world fishing and knows and knows how to do it like legitimately knows what he's doing when he showed yeah. up there he has studied the fishery he knows uh, he's always prepared he's always overly prepared and right. it, it's awesome watching him. He's the definition of rugged angler when you, when you watch him <laughs> fish, because he'll go into the jungles of Bolivia after golden yeah. dorado, or, you know, he'll go off the grid. Um, gosh, what was the name of that island he went to that they had to go. Uh, it was, it was just an awesome episode. Um, but he, he's not afraid to go off the grid after, you know, what he's after. And,
1: yeah, he's not afraid to get dirty. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: exactly. So he he's he's uh, he's just a really good um, supporter of the brand. And and when, when he asked to wear the watch, and, and uh, we were kind of hoping that it would be everything that he was after, because we knew what he did as a lifestyle and where he went and the kind of condition right. he put it through. And he just raves about the watches, man. So to have That's him awesome. say good is you couldn't put a better stamp on the brand. Um, right. And then, as far as our support goes, the bigger family, the bigger hook and gaff family. Absolutely, we have support from the spouses, and uh, it's funny, you know, you mentioned that because we do. uh, Well, before COVID, we used to do a lot of trade shows, yeah. and we would have this one in two weeks typically. It's called the Southeastern Wildlife Expo, and it brings in close to a hundred thousand people from all over the country, wow. Charleston, South Carolina, where they get to eat fine cuisine. They look at awesome artwork like wildlife artwork sculptures Mm -hmm. and we have all kinds of outdoor vendors that make different things and we're usually there and that's our best show of the year it's kind of like the dallas safari club show but on a little bit smaller scale if you can picture that um and uh and and now we're not doing those things but when we do our spouses are involved and you know everybody back at the shop is involved so it's all (laughs) hand-doned or things like that and we're a small operation too so um you know I have a guy that is our director of operations. His name's TJ. He's also a former combat vet. He was in Afghanistan. Uh, he's going oh, to, school, cool. going back to school. And, um, and then we have two watchmakers that, uh, assist with all of our sourcing of our parts, um, pricing and, and helping us get all everything lined up that we need lined up and then do a yeah. set. So, um, they're working on some new stuff right now.
1: Very cool. So you pretty much keep a lot of things in South Carolina as much as you can, you know, in terms of like day to day and, and, and building or assembling of the watches. And so it's, it's very much so a South Carolina brand watch family, the whole bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there are some things that you can't put together from scratch, like a movement. So you order these from Switzerland and then, you know, when you, when you're doing this sort of thing, it's, it's, um, there's not a ton of moving parts, but you have to be really good at what you're doing. So, we've got a third-generation watchmaker on staff who um who is just phenomenal and he he really helps us.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, as you continue through, you know, uh, building Hook & Gaff, creating the brand, extending to where you want to go, and then obviously COVID kind of comes into play and and as we're moving forward, where do you kind of see the future of where Hook and Gaff is going? You know, like what's your goal? And then obviously, you know, the United States kind of has had this hurdle of COVID-19, right? Something that's just been dropped on us. We don't really know how to really react to it. And it's just a matter of, you know, you can either react to it or you can respond to it. So what's been kind of your approach to responding to it? And then where do you see Hook and Gaff going in the future?
0: That's a great question. So, um, we did we made a really key decision it was it was so key this was in march of 2019 and it's just pure dumb luck at the timing honestly i mean that's all i can i can chalk it up to but we got feedback from um, customers we got feedback from um we did a lot of customer surveys probably a thousand online surveys with our email database And we were, yeah, we were lucky enough to get a thousand people to respond. That was pretty sweet. Um, So this was important feedback on, on, yeah, on uh, pricing, brands they like to wear. Um, We just got a lot of good feedback on our brand and pricing and and what they wanted to see in the future. So we realized that to get to where we needed to be price-wise for these people to really own one or two Hook and Gaff watches. We we also realized, you know, we had 60,000 emails in our database. These are fans of Hook and Gaff but yet we'd only sold, well, we'd only sold a couple of thousand watches at that that point. So Mm -hmm. clearly we have, you know, 55,000 or 50,000 fans of hook and gaff that don't own a watch. So scratch my head thinking, okay, something's amiss here. There's gotta be a price issue. So um, that was it. In order to get our prices down into the sweet spot where people started pulling the trigger this last year and a half, two years, um, we had to pull out of retail. Uh, we were already seeing some challenges with retail, even well before COVID. Uh, we had usually one or two, three retailers go out of business every year, and we'd usually get stuck, you know, uh, right. not getting paid. So, um, and and that's unfortunate because the the vendors and the and the retailers that we liked to do to do business with were the mom and pops of your of your town. It was your your main street men's clothier it was your main street jeweler or your, you know, local flash shop that carried some watches. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, those are the brands that Amazon and these, you know, all yeah. are putting out of business, you know, it's just the nature. So we could read the writing on the wall and we, we got several good pieces of feedback where those two things really drove us to go direct to consumer and sell our products directly online and lower the mm-hmm. pricing so we just eliminated dealer margin so you know our watches used to be priced from 575 to over 800 bucks because we were having to yeah. build in that keystone margin for that retailer and now, now we've eliminated that so they're 300 to 525 and they're much more affordable
1: right uh, yeah so yeah so now where do you brand kind of you know you know obviously there's that logistics of you got you got to sell watches you know like yeah. you got to be- make the money and, and, and continue it. But from a brand perspective, do you guys see yourself reaching out to more anglers? Like, how are you going to go about kind of extending, you know, in kind of like what we said about before making that long lasting brand well into the future?
0: Yeah. I think the other key piece of information we got from their surveys, um uh, was that our core is still based kind of here in the Carolinas and Georgia, which makes sense. We're from here. The brand yeah. has a really great core following here in the Carolinas, um, specifically Charleston and, and branching out on those coastal regions. And then once you get outside of that, you know it's we're still shipping watches to Texas and New York and other places every day, but it's just not as prevalent. So um, when you look at our total sales and, and which states they're attributable to, we've got a lot of room to grow. So that's very exciting um yeah you know we're still very much a carolina's brand and we you know we haven't even scraped the surface in texas or you know these other big markets so that's exciting so you know yeah. if we if we started spending more money on digital ads and social media ads you know texas specific it would be a new brand to those guys even though we've been around for seven years that, that would be new for them so that that's the growth strategy that's the room for growth we want to draw a lot pretty much from texas all the way up to new york and kind of grow out from the southeast and just own that space
1: right now you know i think in any business right or in any endeavor right whether it be golf fishing there's always challenges you know there's always that getting over the hump and moments that you want to wave the white flag and and times that you're just like oh man I do not want to ship a watch today, you know. Yeah. So what are has there been a moment or maybe a even a, a significant time period where you were just like, you know what? We gotta you gotta put up or shut up. You know, like this this challenge that had to have been overcome.
0: Yeah, I, I would say there's probably gonna be another one. I mean, there's always gonna be challenges and, and this year it's gonna be COVID. I would say before that the issues are probably always associated with growth and funding the growth for businesses Mm -hmm. like ours, so you have to figure out what your growth strategy is going to be are you going to try to seek outside funding and give up equity in your business or are you going to try to do it in the form of loans um so that's usually the point where you're like oh man how how are we going to grow this thing and that was probably two years ago for us yeah uh we got to that point and and realized you know we're going to have to seek some funding somehow let's see what we can get from the bank before we start giving away our business i'm mm-hmm. and luckily gash and i are on the same page we're adamantly opposed to giving away equity in our business it would have to just make so much sense it's not even funny but we have right. been self-funding this thing and now the growth is funding the business at the right pace where we're, we're still growing 30 to 40 or even higher a year 30 to 40 yeah. percent um where we're, we're happy with that. We don't have to be a $10 million business in two years, you know, and, and give it all away. I mean, a lot of people will do that because yeah, you can make money that way, but um, I don't know, man. I, it, it, they'd have to show me something for me to do that because I, I love the brand. I love where it's going. I love that this could be a generational brand where my kids might want to work in this one day or something like that. So right. we'll see what happens, but this is a long-term brand for us. Um, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh the vineyard vines guys but of course. i've been yeah. fortunate enough to talk to to one of the dudes up there and I, I love their story i love that they they kept the business and kept both kept the equity among yeah. the two of them and just grew it at, at the pace that was right for them because they're yeah. one of the few they're one of the few who's done that and i, I really admire that so.
1: yeah well you know what there's something to be said about keeping it you know, in the family and having this really genuine and being authentic and, you know, knowing that like, if this wasn't bootstrapped, it wouldn't have been a thing, you know, and not, not going around with your hand out, and, 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 you know, I think there's a time and a place, right? Obviously when, when you, when there's a need to grow, you need to grow. But if you have the ability to go ahead and just, you know, pull up your bootstraps and go for it, Then I think that's the way to go, and then grow organically. And like you said, you know, you've been growing at a rate where you know the the growth is being funded by the business. And at the same time, it seems like in a way the brand is kind of doing the same thing. You know, it's you're growing with your customer base, and you're not growing for your customer base. You know, and and trying to fill that fill that gap essentially so yeah. yeah it's super it's a it's it's really cool to hear that and keeping it within South Carolina and your efforts to do as much as you can with a lot of the other community it hook and gaff is just an awesome awesome brand so you know br- br- yeah no problem it, it really is I mean from the design to everything I was I'm really impressed when I got to stumble upon you and, and honored to be able to talk to you about it so you know as we come into port where can kind of people get to know you, learn more about the company, buy a watch. Where can they learn more?
0: Yeah, our our website's pretty simple. It's just Uh, hookandgaff.com, spelled out H-O-K-A-N-D-G-A-F-F. Same thing on Instagram and Facebook. Um, We have uh, our photographer, Justin Hodge, runs our Instagram. He's a professional photographer. He travels all the time. He just got back from, gosh, where the heck was he? He went to, you go to Costa Rica. No, he went to Guatemala. He went to Guatemala. Um, Terrible. Yeah, no, terrible job. Yeah. (laughs) Guatemala went out to the Midwest to shoot ducks and geese and and he's just always getting some incredible shots and he, he kind of manages that for us. Uh, We also have a a bunch of other guides that that wear the watch that are also professional photographers and take photos and stuff. So um, you want to see some really cool stuff and kind of get a feel for what we're all about, our Instagram page is, is, is it, it's, it's yeah. our, our guy, Justin and, and our other guys that wear the watch actually living the brand. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'd love to have anybody check out the website and, uh, check out Instagram for photos and, and see if there's anything there that you guys like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, one more question before we go, the hook, the name hook and gaff. Yeah. Right. You know, obviously if you're an angler, a hook and a gaff. I mean they're synonymous with one another, right? You kind of need you, you catch a fish, you hook it, and then you get a gaff it to get in the boat. Is there any yeah. significance in why you chose that name?
0: It's that's a really good point.
1: Or does and it sound good? Because it I sounds
0: great. <laughs> well, yeah, there's two things. Number one, every one-word name has been taken and trademarked. So you have to that's the reason you see these two-word names all the time for these businesses so when we were coming up with that name i i was thinking of two things that were synonymous with each other that would look cool in a logo well Mm -hmm. gash took the hook in the gap and kind of made a a swiss looking cross out of it because we use swiss movements in our watches
1: looks very familiar Yeah. Yeah,
0: we've kind of gotten away from from marketing you know the swiss movement because um quite frankly a lot of our outdoorsmen just don't care whether it's japanese swiss mm-hmm. or anything else um, and, and we're kind of a carolina's based brand so we do use the best movements in our watches we use swiss movements but <laughs> that's a great question because i actually haven't had that in a while that, that logo that's what we had in mind when we designed the logo it was kind of that red and, and white cross looking uh, logo or flag yeah know.
2: well it looks and- great it-
0: yeah, and furthermore, he put it on the triangle, so it's the the tag and release flag um, oh, yep. that you'd see, you know, on a sport fisher. So that mm-hmm. that was the red triangle. That's where that came from.
1: I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Michael, man, it was a pleasure being really able well to pick your brain and, and talk more about hooking gaff. So uh, just thanks for being on the show. It's been great.
0: Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah thank you. Take care.
1: Thank you guys for tuning into this episode of Along the Keel, and I was really excited to be able to share the story of Hook and Gaff and uh, just Michael himself. He's a great guy. It's a wholesome company, and uh, the watches are great. They're aesthetically pleasing, and having been using one and wearing one for the past, I would say, about a month now, I can say they're definitely durable and rugged and have spent many hours out on Narragansett Bay with me so far, and I will assume many more to come. What I really liked about Michael's story was the wholesomeness in his company and his ethos and how he goes about his day. You know, he uh, we started off this podcast and he got interrupted with a walkie-talkie battle between him and his son, uh, who was outside playing, and it was just... It was a uh, it was a perfect introduction into who Michael is as a person, and it was uh, it was fantastic. You know, I can remember growing up and doing the same thing with my parents, being outside and talking on walkie-talkies out in the woods while I was out playing, and it was just that uh, it was a little bit of a nostalgia coming back to that. So, Michael, thank you for that, and I hope you guys enjoyed the story behind it. It's a it's a great company, a lot of great things uh, to be coming with Hook and Gaff. And uh, one company that I hope you definitely will check out and support. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of along the keel as always, make sure to like share and subscribe, leave us a review. Five stars goes a super long way. If you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure to scroll all the way down, hit that five stars and let us know what you think about the show. If you choose to do so as well as check out our mailing list, we got some wicked cool things coming in spring of 2021. And I want you guys to stay tuned for that. So you can do that by signing up for an emailing list. Not only that, you'll be receiving some awesome stuff come May. That's right. May, May, May. Stay tuned. Anyway, hope you guys work hard, do good, be incredible and have an awesome day. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Along the Keel.